This is the word of the Lord from Acts 20, 17 through 38, speaking of Paul. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overcomers, excuse me, overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. For I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Paul. Well, good morning again. Uh, my name is Sean, if I don't know you. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Um, just real quick, if you don't know what Redemption Peoria is, it's part of Redemption Church, which is 10 different congregations spread throughout the state of Arizona. Um, we're really heavily community-driven here at Redemption Peoria, and you might have questions of how that works. We're elder-led, lead pastor-led, all that stuff. Here, here's what I would say to you. I'm going to be in the lobby afterwards by the Connect desk. Um, come up, and you can ask whatever questions. If I don't know you, come up and say hi. 
um, so we can interact and I can help you go through any of that, the stuff that you might have questions about how Redemption uh, Church operates. Um, if you notice, we kind of changed the way we do our liturgy to where the announcements are now after the, the reading of God's Word. And I only have really uh, one big announcement, and then I want to say something in light of what uh, Josh had walked us through in a litany early on. Um, and here's the only announcement. Uh, as the fall comes, everything shows us. It's crazy as we've been growing uh, as a church because I'm starting to see things that like analytics and stuff that, you know, when we were just five communities, we didn't ever have to deal with. Um, but every single August and September, our church always makes a huge jump. And I'm sure a lot of churches do that. It's not just the college students come back, but everyone is done traveling and we kind of, you know, all come back and we're more of a rhythm. Well, here's what I would say to that. Um, I want to really push in the direction uh, for you to not just think that coming to this church is coming on Sunday morning. If you're going to say you're going to be here, know this. As a church, we want to serve our community, okay? But we also want to serve each other. And a big way that we can serve each other is moving into this fall. There's really two big ways uh, that we identify in our corporate gathering. One is set up and tear down. So if you have able arms and legs that you're able to do that, which I'm going to actually talk about next week. But the other one, which I'm going to push to you right now, is this children's ministry. Okay. If you're going to say you're going to be here and you're going, well, they ain't my kids. Okay. Well, your day's coming, bro. You're going to have kids one day. And you're going to hope there's children's workers back there. Um, so if you're able to like hold a child or like my son Corbin, he's nine. If you feel like, well, I just really want to spank kids because they're disobedient. That's what we need, man. You know what I'm saying? Um, so here's what I would say from babies all the way up through fifth grade. If you want to get involved with children's ministry, you feel like that's a way that you can serve in any of those ages. Um, and you got a bolt afterwards. You can email summer Wallstrom at redemption AZ. So you can see your email there or, if you don't got to go anywhere right away, at the Connect Desk, where I'll be standing uh, and some other people will be standing to answer questions, Summer's going to be there, and she'll be able to answer questions for you as well. There's obviously a process to this. We want to do a background check and make sure everything's legit. But at the end of the day, maybe that's a way that you can dive in. So after this service, uh, you know, go to the Connect Desk and, uh, and, and talk to Summer about any questions you might have about that. Cool? Because we really want to uh, really break down this whole 2080 rule in regards to serving and, and really go at all of us doing at least one thing. Um, so that's the, the, the one thing. So outside of announcements, here's uh, what I want to say in light of what Josh walked us through in the litany. A litany is something that we pray, and then as a congregation, we respond with the, the same thing. And maybe you weren't in here before we went to that part of our service, um, but it was uh, revolving around the Charlottesville stuff. If you aren't aware of um, the rally that took place with white supremacists in Charlottesville, um, we as Redemption, working through texts and emails and all that stuff, uh, as a church, want to kind of acknowledge where we are. And, and, and I want to say, um, it's low-bearing fruit. Uh, what I mean by that is it's obvious for me to just get up here and go, yeah, racism is wrong. White supremacy is not okay. And all of us would go, yeah. No, no, like, I mean, most of us, right, would, would at least go, no, like, I'm not okay with white supremacy. What, what I want to put in front of you, though, is um, that not the active nature of being part of a Ku Klux Klan rally or white supremacist website or blog or whatever it is, um, is the only identifier to that. But as Christians, there's, there's something according to 1 Corinthians 12 that we recognize that as one person suffers, we rally around that one person and suffer with them, right? And uh, even as a congregation, we can look at uh, people of other races or whatever it is and recognize there are feelings they have or, or feelings they feel like people feel towards them. That as a congregation, whether you can feel those feelings or not, we are to suffer with them. Okay, so you don't go to your friend if you haven't lost your mom who recently loses their mom and go, well, I don't know what that's like. That's too bad. You try to understand. You try to empathetically understand what they're going through. And so what I want to put in front of you guys is not that we are only just called to suffer with them and not just not be part of active Ku Klux Klan rallies. 
But we ourselves are to recognize the deep tones and really like nebulous layers of racism within all of us. Hear me when I say that. Even at a subconscious level, every single one of us, because of Genesis 3, have tinges of racism. Blacks towards whites, whites towards blacks, towards Mexicans, towards uh, um, uh, Asians. It doesn't matter. Whatever race, whatever culture, there are these things that I don't fully understand and I don't fully like. And and here's what I want to put in front of you. It's obvious that as Redemption Church, we stand and say, man, what happened in Charlottesville is sin. But here's what you need to know. The tones, the pacifism towards the idea, the layers that we're not willing to wrestle with, that's also sin. That's also sin. And maybe it's in you and you're going, hey, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not racist. I don't, that's, listen, I, uh, over and over, it's just there. Genesis 3 puts it there for us. So what I want to challenge you with is, is to recognize, yes, it's, you're not part of the rally in Charlottesville, but man, I, I have things within me that I see different cultures in different ways that are not okay. And how do we actively be a part of fighting the sin that is because of Genesis 3 so inherently within us? So I want to throw that out just so you know where, as a church, we stand, um, as a congregation, where we continue to want to press into, to recognize um, that biblically, even you can go back a couple years ago and listen to a message uh, that was talked through on race, that even the biblical languages, there's only one race. It doesn't describe, it uses uh, ethnos as this other word. There's ethnicities under this one human race, okay? Um, And that's who Jesus came for, and that's who he's king of. And um, so we can talk about that for days. If you have questions, again, I'll be in the lobby, but... I want us just to take a moment and pray like Josh did um, through that litany, but I want to actually just pray for us, that situation, our church, uh, our nation, and all that stuff. So let's take a a second. Father, thank you um, so much for who you are. We first and foremost um, want to take a moment and repent. We want to repent of our passive racism across the board. No matter what race is in here, we all have a proclivity towards um, not wanting to understand people like us. And help us see those things. As we are continued to be sanctified, help us identify things within ourselves that are not okay, that are not God, uh, godliness. Jesus, thank you for um, reminding us of that in this moment. We want to take a moment and pray for um, our nation. And as crazy of a prayer as it is, we, um, we pray desperately and in a big way that somehow our church or our country would not gather around solutions or ideas, but man, you would bring us to the cross. That like we would see that every time we diminish another race, we are diminishing an image, a part of you. Let us see that. Let us see that. That the beauty of the darkest black man to the whitest white man, the beauty of that is the beauty of of every single person in between represents your image. Thank you for reminding us of that. As a country, let us see that, that you are the answer. Help us, Jesus. We pray that you uh, would forgive us of our sins. We pray that you would uh, guide us in navigating these waters. They're muddy. It's not easy. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for that. Again, if you have questions, you can talk to myself. Jim, John, Vince as elders. Um, we'll be around in the lobby again. I'll be out over there. Um, 
So we're in Acts chapter 20, and if you haven't been uh, with us from the beginning of the year, we've been going through the book of Acts, and it's this idea that it is the story of God, and we always think of it as the Acts of the Apostles, but really it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit and God the Father and Jesus doing something here on this earth. And what we've seen is we were introduced to Paul in Acts chapter 9, and as we saw that, the camera's kind of been following him in his journey. We've seen some crazy stuff. But more recently, we're kind of in this pocket in the city of Ephesus. So two weeks ago, Paul arrives in Ephesus. He meets 12 men who don't even know who the Holy Holy Spirit is, though they're called disciples. And we took that time to talk about what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? All that stuff. And and then what we found is that projected us into last week, which is there's this huge uproar in Ephesus, the city, because God is moving in such a powerful way. The city doesn't know how to handle the idols that are trying to be removed, the sin that is trying to be removed and the kingdom of God is growing there. And so um, what we're going to do now is we're going to see Paul's continued travels, but we're going to um, really hone in on the last time that Paul is going to speak to the leaders of this Ephesian church. So um, what Paul came up and read is actually not the, the whole text. We're going to go through all of Acts 20, though we're going to fly through verses 1 through, well, essentially going all the way 1 through 17. Uh, we're going to fly through those and just explain that. I'll have a map again for you next week, but let's pick it up. So um, Uh, after this is verse one of chapter 20, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. I'm going to explain what happens in this moment. He continues to travel from city to city, really being pushed away because of uh, his proclamation of the gospel. And so as he continues to travel, he continues to move. He finally finds himself um, towards the end. Let's look at, uh, let's pick it up in verse six. And we sailed away from uh, Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, uh, we came, uh, we came, I'm sorry, we came to them, I'm sorry, uh, Troas, where we stayed for seven days. So here he is in Troas, he's at this place, and then the story that we're going to read very quickly, um, I think for nothing else but comic relief, but has a bunch of points to it, is kind of hilarious. Listen to what happened. So here's Paul preaching, continuing to travel. On the first day of the week, when we had gathered together to break bread, Paul uh, talked with them, uh, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now, there were many lamps in the upper room where he was gathered. So stop real quick. So here's Paul talking to people, preaching the gospel, and he prolongs his speech until midnight. So he's talking, and then he's talking, and then he's talking, and he's talking, and he's talking. And then we get this. Um, and a young man named Eutychus, which just, you know, in Greek, his name means lucky, which is hilarious. You'll find out why. And Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. FYI, every week, not my goal. Um, And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Now, in the moment, probably not funny. Hindsight, hilarious. Because here's Paul. He's preaching, and Eutychus is trying to hold on, but he just ain't got it in him. He just ain't got it in him. So he falls a few stories, and everyone's like, this ain't good. So Paul... Uh, went down and bent over to him, taking him in his arms. I, I don't know what Paul's going through his mind. I'm sure he has confidence in the Lord, but he's like, I literally, quite literally bored someone to death. Um, Do not be alarmed for his life is in him. Okay, yes. Verse 11, and when Paul had gone up and had broken uh, bread and eaten, he conversed with them a while longer until daybreak. Okay, so Paul preaches, preaches, preaches until someone dies, okay? And then he raises him up. And then he goes on preaching until daybreak, right? He's like, oh, we ain't done. What, where are you going, right? 
Uh, now, we're worried about like 45 minutes in a sermon. Paul just goes. And we know, according to 1 Corinthians, he's not very good at speaking, right? So the dudes are dying. He keeps preaching. Um, it's just this crazy story. Uh, so uh, he preaches until daybreak, and they depart. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. So, yes, Eutychus is not dead. His name is Lucky, ironically. Uh, but going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land, verse 14. And when he met us at Assos, he took him, uh, on, abo- took him on board and went to uh, Mytilene, verse 15. And sailing from there, he came, uh, we came the following, notice the we language there. Luke is with him now, he's writing this. We came the following day opposite of Chios. The next day we touched, these are all names we are pretty, you, you know, confident in, in knowing, touched at Samos, and, uh, day, and the day after that, we went to Miletus, verse 16, for Paul had decided to uh, sail past Ephesus. Do you hear that? So he's doing all the sailing, and he sails past Ephesus. So he's been, he was with the Ephesian church, went and traveled a little bit. Now he was going to go back to the Ephesian church to talk with them, but he sails past them. That's big. He sails past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost, okay? And so here he goes past them. Now listen to verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to uh, Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they had come to him, he said to them, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time. But before we do, I just want us to get into what's going on here. So Paul travels. It's probably 20, 25 miles, few days walk, travels past Ephesus. He calls the elders there to Miletus. And they got a couple days travel. They eventually make it to Paul. And then he begins to talk with them. Now, this is important um, because this is the last time that Paul is going to talk with these Ephesians. Now, I, I need you to... Um, put the emotional equity into this passage to try to enter into what's going on in Paul's mind, what's going on into the Ephesians' mind. This is the last time, some commentators say up to five years, Paul has been sowing, he's been reaping, he's been working, he's coming alongside, he's been crying, emotionally involved with these Ephesians. And now this is the last time he's going to talk with them, which, which begs the question, um, if it was your last time to talk to someone you cared about or the last time you had something to say um, on your deathbed or whatever it is, what would you say? Like you want to get, get the potent, important stuff in in that moment. I remember uh, about six years ago, I uh, went to a, a guy who was speaking, a pastor who had planted a church, and he had been with him for 10 years. He was moving to California at the time uh, for some other reasons. And uh, I just remember listening, and I love, I love him as a preacher. He'll actually be here uh, coming in a couple months. Um, but but I, I, I just I remember listening to him, and I was like, that's different. Like, it was his last sermon to his people. He had the hindsight to go, I've been with you with, for, for 10 years. I've seen how we've operated. This is what I want you to know. Do you hear that? Like, this is what I want you to know. And so um, it's important for us to understand the moment and the gravity of what's going on because we've been in Ephesus with Paul and these leaders and these uh, uh, church members, and now he's leaving them. And he declares, you'll find out in a minute, he's not going to see them again. What would you say? Now, now this is big as you think about that question. Because um, you, the, the guy in the deathbed isn't going, man, just, just work for the millions. Don't worry about spending time with your family. Like, like, no, in the moment, you want to say, I've learned all of this. J.C. Ryder says, I've never met a young man without arrogance and an old man without regrets. The idea that we're sitting there, we're lying on our bed, and I want you to hear what I've learned in this course of life. I want you to know what is important and hopefully 
it will jostle you out of the inebriation that you're in right now. And that's exactly what Acts 20 is going to do for us. It's going to push, it's going to press, it's going to jostle us. And I hope you hear that and what's going on. So this is uh, what he goes on to say. After from Miletus, he goes to uh, the Ephesians elders, come to him, and this is what he says to them. You yourselves know how I lived among you. Stop real quick. The first four verses that we're going to read in this speech from Paul to the Ephesian elders is he's going to start with, let's talk about how I was. Just maybe for credential wise, you know, I ain't just coming up here trying to bring whatever I want to bring. Let's start with how I acted when I was with you. This is what he says. You know how I uh, I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, let's take a minute before I say what I need to say to you and just know I served you first. Look at your Bible with humility. I didn't come with arrogance. I wasn't domineering. I took a humble place. I took a humble posture among you. Secondly, I served you with tears. Listen to the, the pointing of, I was involved. For five years, I gave my life. I listened to your sorrows. I cried with you. I was with you. I, I, I was there involved serving the Lord with tears. Next, look, I served the Lord with trials. You saw my life. It wasn't easy. You saw as I, as I continued to walk with you over and over, people persecuted me, people pressed against me. The, the Ephesians got to see a glimpse of what happened in Paul's life. Then he goes on, as you can see in verse 20, in all of that, even as I was with you, I didn't shrink back from the things that were profitable to you. Hear me when I say this. There are moments where Paul probably didn't want to say things. Like, like man, you, you know that there were times when I didn't want to call out that sin. Like, I knew you wouldn't want to hear it. But hear me, it was for your good. It was profitable. And I love how he says this next part at the back end of 20. I didn't just do this on Sundays, y'all. I met you at coffee shops. I met you at houses. I met you at your workplaces. I, I, I told you over and over the things that weren't easy to hear. I was in it with you. And then how he finishes, look at verse um. 21, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this because he says, my mantra was the same to everybody. I don't care if you were Jew or Greek, if you were rich or poor, it didn't matter. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. There is no hope without him. To have faith in him is the only option. And so this is Paul kind of starting this. This is how I was. Now the majority of our time is going to be spent on how things need to be. Okay, so we get into uh, everything that he did. Verse 23, and now behold, so now, that's how it was. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. Now I need you to hear verses 22 and 23 and know they're about to start a domino effect. They're about to start something that all the other verses are going to rely on and lean on. They're all going to come from this place. And here, here's what I mean. As, as we read uh, again, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me uh, there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and infliction await me. This is Paul's kind of life MO. It's his motto. But, but here's the question. As we read the book of Acts, there's two ways to view the book of Acts. First, you can read the book of Acts the same way we read the book of Genesis. 
It's describing a moment. It is saying, hey, we don't wake up tomorrow and think that God's recreating the earth, recreating the sun. We don't think that's what's going to happen. No, we're reading a descriptive moment in time. It's describing something that happened. Or do we read the book of Acts as if it's a new reality for Christians? It's not just telling us what happened, but it's prescribing exactly how we should act. Does that make sense? Descriptively or prescriptively. Now, I don't know where you stand, you know, on on that that, uh, line there, but here's what I want to say. For a moment, let's use our imagination and pretend that this is prescriptive. Let's pretend for a moment, verse 23 is prescribing the way that we are supposed to live. Meaning, hear me when I say this, if you were told before you started following Jesus, that the only thing awaited you was the separation from your family because of the preaching of the gospel, that God would constrain you to a point that you would be put in prison, missing your child's graduation, you'd be put in prison, being afflicted, if nothing but pain and harm, whatever city you went to, you couldn't step in and know that imprisonment and affliction awaited you, would you still follow? Would you? Like, are you really all in, bro? Like if this was prescriptive for all of us, I mean, put yourself there for a minute. Don't run from it. And, and, and it's hard because it's easy to go, well, that's not the reality. Well, that's not true for a quarter of our brothers and sisters around the world. Now that's their truth, man. That's Paul's truth here. We have no idea what the future holds. Are you in? Are you in? Like if all you had was Jesus, solitary confinement for 20 years, are you in? If this was prescribed to you, do you still want it? Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. What if that's all you had? Are you still in? Now, I hate giving caveats to all this, but let's recognize for the moment, of course, not all of us are called to that. I mean, us, we're not, we're not called to that, right? As we continue to work with brothers and sisters as a church around the world, we recognize it's their reality, but it's not ours. But I think the question is worth asking because whether or not that presses against us, that, that um, discomfort or whatever it is, is coming at us to, to, to really question, am I all in if all I had, I love my son Corbin. And you would go, well, God would never call you to that. And I would go, ask Abraham what God calls you to. And so you, you look at this moment, you go, man, I, I don't know if, if, if that's right, that God would say separate from your family 20 years. Man, read the heavenly man, read Fox's book of martyrs. This is people's reality. He has done it and he will do it. And maybe we don't understand, but the truth is, if all said and done, brass tacks, if that was our reality, would we still choose to follow? That's all I want you to ask yourself. That's it. Now, I think there's a dissonance immediately as the question's asked, right? Like, oh my gosh. Like, I wouldn't see Corbin going to high school. I wouldn't see him graduate. I mean, I wouldn't see him raise a family of his own. I mean, reading the heavenly man, watching the same encounters that I'm just describing right now for my... And that's tough. I, am I all in? Am I all in? And the dissonance is, is good because here's what I think happens. Um, if it's a domino, verse 24 tells us Paul's mindset of 23. Verse 24 is describing how Paul is able to go, I don't care where I go. I know that death, imprisonment, suffering, it all awaits me. I don't care. Verse 24 is what gets us there. Freaking 24. This stuff here it is. You ready? Verse 24, Kobe Bryant, Willie Mays, Ken Griffey Jr., Jack Bauer, I guess, in some ways. Um, verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself 
If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I don't very often say this, but if there is a verse that you should consider memorizing, I think verse 24 should be it. Like, listen, listen, listen again, listen. How do we get to a place where we'd go, if only affliction and imprisonment waited me? How do I get there? I get there by this declaration, but I don't account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. When I started to lay out all this message in the, uh, this passage in the last couple of weeks, I had like a page worth of like exegetical insight, and I wanted to like break everything down. Um, but that's not what we're going to do. Uh, here's what I ask you to do. It's going to be awkward, I know. Um, but I want you to close your eyes. And I know, if I was you right now, I would not be happy with me. But close your eyes. And, um, and maybe you don't want to close your eyes. You find a better way with your eyes open to think. Uh, here, here's what I would ask. When you hear, just listen, when you hear that you are to not count your life as any value nor precious to yourself, what do you hear? What does that mean? It's rhetorical. Just think about it. What, man, like, it's not in a masochistic way. But, but truly, I don't count my life as a value or precious to myself. What is it? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? And furthermore, keep listening. You can keep your eyes closed. But you're not counting your life any value or precious to yourself, but only that you would finish your course. Imagine for a moment you have like an obstacle course that, that is in front of you. That's what matters. I, I've got I've to get to the end. This is the course that was set in front of me. This is what it is. Now, it's interesting because what he says, the course that I received from the Lord Jesus, this course, this, this path that he has put in front of you is not given to you by me. It's not given to you by the elders or the church. It's given to you, quite literally even for Paul, by Christ Jesus. He has set in front of you a path. God has given me a path. I, I need to father Corbin and Titus, and Eve, and Anna. Well, I need to be a, a faithful husband to my wife, Candace. My course is for the next 80 years that I would pastor Redemption Peoria. What, what is your course? Maybe, maybe it's not any of those things, right? It's, it's, it's something. What is it? And know this, it's been given to you by Christ Jesus. Just think about that for a moment. Where you live, what job you work, who your kids are, who your parents are, who your neighbors are, who your friends are. He's put this course in front of you. Think about that. He has given you a course, a path. Listen, and no matter what your course or path is, listen to what he says here at the end. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The word testify is dia marturia. You can hear the word martyr in it. That, that wherever you are, dia is the word through, through being a martyr, through being a testimony, that your life, no matter what it is, at your workplace, whatever your course is, whatever, what, as, as a parent, as a student, your course is set in front of you, and it's different from all of us in this room, but there's one thing that is the common thread between all of us, and that it is we are to, no matter what our course is, testify, be a testimony, even a martyr, for the cause of Christ, to point people the way I work, the way I act. Jesus, help us do that. Jesus, 
thank you for this verse as we continue to go through this passage. We just take a moment and recognize this is not easy. It's pushing against the American comfort, the American dream. It's pushing against everything that we want to. We, we take Advil when we have headaches. We, we, we don't want to live in discomfort or pain. God, help us. What have you called us to? We can't help but, man, you, you, the, the words of Jesus are echoing in our mind to sell all that we have and give it to the poor. If that is our course, let us be faithful. We love you, Jesus. May this be true of us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's continue on in our passage. That wasn't my final prayer, so I apologize if the lights went down. That would have been a real quick sermon, which, no, we're not doing that. Verse 25. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all, uh, of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I love what he says there. I'm talking with you now. Man, we want verse 23 to be true. That I, man, if, if that was the reality, if that was prescriptive, that wherever I would go, this is my truth, then I am all in. And the way I can get there is to realize that my life is not valuable to myself, but the only thing that matters is what God has called me to. And I love in this moment, he's declaring, this is my calling. This is what's been placed before me. And I know I'm going to die. And you can almost hear it. Jim Elliott has a quote where he says, when it comes time to die, make sure all you have to do is die. Like, don't, don't look back on your life and go, I should have, I, I could have. No, no, no. I, I've, I've walked this course out. I want to do what God has called me to do. And now you can hear in verse 28, um, as it changes, if that's what we want, how do we get there? Now, we're going to come back to verse 20 at the very end, but just listen to what he says. The first three words, pay careful attention. So he starts to lay out what's called imperatives, this idea of a command, I'm telling you to do something. And he lays out this idea of, we want to get to verse 23 so 24 can be our reality. The way we can do this is let's start with some imperatives. How do we do that? First of all, pay careful attention. And he goes to talk about the elders and he makes some declaration of the fact that Jesus has obtained us with his own blood, which we will come back to at the very end. But he continues on with the imperatives as he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Oh, we got to stop. Listen to what he said. You want to know why there's such dissonance when verse 23 comes up and 24 is calling our name on my... Like, am I willing to give it all? Do I count my life as valuable? Does all that matter is my course? You want to know why that's so difficult? Because there are philosophies, there are ideas, there are cultural mandates of this age, this eos, that are beckoning you, that are calling you. And Paul in this moment goes, man, pay careful attention because these things are going to try to come alongside you. And hear me, even amongst you, Joseph don't show up with the golden tablets just randomly one day. This was a progressive move away from the truth. So I need you to understand that it's not just this, yeah, no, I'm not following Jesus anymore. It's slow and it's gradual. And Paul's going, because that's the case, fierce wolves are going to come in to pull you away from verse 24. The comforts of this world are pulling you away from verse 24. Hear me what I say. You need to listen to me. And this is exactly what he says, what we need to do. Hear it. It's beautiful. Therefore, because wolves, because philosophies, because ideas, because mantras, because this age, because our culture are trying to tell us, well, 
mean, you don't count your life as valuable? That, that just sounds crazy. Because that's so crazy, we start to buy into other things. Therefore, listen, be alert. Remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Keep looking at your Bible. At the back end of 32, see that? He, he's, he's saying, which is able, and then he's going to say, so you can make it to the end, so you can be faithful to the end, so 24 can be true, so 23 can be true. These things that, I'm, that I just told you are able to have you share into the inheritance of the sanctified, the saints, for all eternity to be, be with God. These things are able, and he gives us three things. Going back, look at it. Look at verses 31 and uh, uh, part of 32. The first one that he starts is, be alert. You want to know how to hold fast to verse 24? Quite literally, some of your even translations say this, stay awake. Stay woke, bro. Stay woke. We ain't playing a game here. This, this is reality. Like things are, things are actually spiritually trying to pull you away from verse 24. Stay woke. Um, I shared with you last week that Candace and I have been enthralled with this uh, Leah Remney Scientology, the aftermath. And um, I, I want you to hear a quote from L. Ron Hubbard who started Scientology. Uh, li- listen to what he says, okay? He says, we're not playing some minor game in Scientology. It isn't cute or something to do for lack of something better. <laughs> hear this. The whole agonized future of this planet, every man, woman, and child on it, and your own destiny for the next endless trillions of years depend on what you do here and now with and in Scientology. Now, we read that quote, which I believe is up there, and would most likely all agree it's completely demonic. But that's not true. That's a swaying of way, away, and I would argue L. Ron Hubbard is in hell because of the deception that took place there. But pagans, like Scientologists, are not to be more all in than the Christian faith. Like when we hear that, I can't help but think, am I playing a game? Like, do I really believe what I do here matters that much? Am I playing a game? Is this something I do because there's not something better to do? No, man. Stay woke. Look around at what you do, how you raise your children, how you go to class, and be alert. There are things that are pulling you away from verse 24. Listen to Jesus. He's better than listening to me. Verse 14 of chapter 7 of Matthew, he says this, But small is the gate and narrow the way that leads to life, and only a few find it. Hear him. Listen. Be alert. Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. This path is narrow, and these wolves are trying to pull you from it. God's been telling his people this for millennia. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 23. Thus the Lord of hosts, uh, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. People, whether you want to believe it or not, are pulling you away from verse 24. Be alert. We're not playing a game. Now, the question is, how do we do that? Like, is it being paranoid, weirdos in our car, like never going to leave, removing ourselves from culture? What does that look like? By God's grace, he tells us exactly what that looks like. 
by what he did. Listen, listen to this. Be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day, you ready? To admonish everyone with tears. Now, I recognize the word admonish isn't something we use very often um, in our society. The word admonish is two Greek words, nous thetomai. And I'm not trying to drop Greek, so for whatever reason, I want you to hear that because nous is the idea where we get our word mind from in Greek. Thetomai is to place inside of. And so what he's saying in this moment is the way that we can stay alert is that we can quite literally go Leonardo DiCaprio on people inception style, place inside their minds what is true. To, to continue over and over, and it's in the present tense, over and over, how often, for years, I admonished you. I placed in your mind what is true. Because other philosophies are trying to tell you what is not true, and your hearts and your flesh and your mind want to follow those things. So we together do this. I remind you, and you remind me what is true. But it's not just like I'm reminding you of casual nonchalant ideas. Oh, well, just remember, God is good. Let go, let God. No, he, he, hear what he says. The, the, the answer to, to all this, what ties these three things together, that we are to stay woke by admonishing each other over and over. Verse, uh, let's go, uh, sorry, the back half of verse uh, 32. And I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. <laughs> so I want to stay, stay awake. I want to be alert. And I need to be reminded over and over and over again. And what am I to be reminded of? The Bible. <laughs> I can't, like, this is Christianity 101. The fundamentals of our faith. How do you stay awake? How do you pursue verse 24? How do you make 23 your mantra? By not letting ravenous wolves pull you away with false doctrines, false ideas, uh, cares of this world, but we're bought in because we're reminding each other of what the Bible says. The Bible guides us. The Bible pushes us. Peter says in 2 Peter that the Bible is actually better than if Jesus showed up on the stage right now transfigured. You'd go, if I could just see him, I would believe. And Peter goes, no, 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 I saw the dude like that. And I'm telling you, the Bible is, and I quote, still more sure. You have it right now. You have it on your phone. You have it in your lap. You have it on your computer. So he can pull it up right now for you. And here it is. This is how we stay woke. I remind you that the philosophies of this world, that there are ravenous wolves pulling you away. The Bible is what's keeping us steadfast. The Bible is keeping us straight ahead. The Bible is keeping us on the narrow path. So let, let's, before we go on, let's hear how the dominoes fell. The declaration that I am willing to give all that I am, no matter what the cost, if that means imprisonment and infliction, is a hard pill to swallow. But I get there with the mentality of my life of verse 24, being that I don't count my life as valuable or precious to myself as long as I finish what Jesus has told me to do. And I'm testifying wherever he tells me to go. Now, the way that we can continue to do that is to recognize that there are things, there are ideas and philosophies that are trying to pull me away from there. And so I need to be alert of those things. I need to stay woke about those things, that these things are very present, very spiritual. And the way that I'm staying woke is for you to remind me over and over of what the Bible says. That's where we get the crackpots, man, when, when, when they come out of the woodwork uh, not dealing with the Bible. Well, this is how I feel. I, I remember meeting with a friend who was 
slowly been uh, walking away from Christianity, and there's a clear moment in our conversation where he said, man, I knew um, my faith, he's a gay man, and and he had said, um, I knew where my faith was, and I was okay with God. The moment I stepped out of church, and I clearly heard Jesus tell me, stop reading the Bible. And I'm going, that wasn't Jesus, bro. Like, the, the idea... That, that, that um, we can live, we can exist without leaning into the word of God. It's going to trip us up. You got nothing but pain coming your way. And it ain't the kind of pain Paul's talking about. Within his pain, there's joy. You're, you're going to strive after and search after things that are false promises, false idols, sin. And I promise you, hear me when I say this, as much love as I can, they're just trying to kill, they're just trying to steal, and they're just trying to destroy everything that you have. That's it. Any other philosophy, mentality, idea, part of, uh, uh, separated from what the word of God would say is, is, is a scheme of the enemy. Um, so he goes on to finish with this in verse 33 through 35, which in some ways is kind of a fruit of living this life by staying awake, uh, staying awoke. I don't even know how to say it anymore. Um, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to to my necessities and to those who are with me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Can you hear that if we walk this out well, Paul reminding them, because this is my life mantra, because I'm steadfast on Jesus. You hear that? And there's this recognition that I know that consumerism's in my face, but that's a philosophy that's there, but that's an idea that's there, but you want new, but you have to have the next thing, but I know it's true. What Jesus said is true. It's not better for me to get those things. It's better for me to give those things. You hear Jesus' philosophy. When we can walk this way, we're pushing against those ideas. And then we finish with this Weeping with the Ephesians, which is rightfully so, right? He's been with them for a long time. Verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken. This is what they're sorrowful of, that they would not see his face again. It's clearly a reality that Paul's life is there, uh, the way that we've been talking about. And they accompanied him to the ship. So like, look at, if you can, I know on your phones this might be a little bit difficult, but in your Bibles, if you can look at, like, verses 23 through 27, you can see that in your, your text there. Specifically, verse 24 is kind of this, like, how we're to live. Like, this is the call. I, I need to be in a place as a Christian to know that no matter what calls my name, I'm steadfast on what course Jesus has given me. Okay? And as you see verses 29, you can continue to look at your Bible, through 32, you can argue even all the way to 35, but at least through 32, how we are to stop things from keeping us from that first reality. So, so here's what we're supposed to do, and here's how we do it, okay? And the hinge verse between these, what I said we're going to come back to, is verse 28. What ties the fact of what we're supposed to do and how we do it is the declaration in 28. Listen to the declaration in, in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourself. He's talking to the elders and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, okay, to care for the church of God. So he's talking to the elders and go, listen, Pay careful attention. We've talked about all of that. Talking, reminding them that there's fierce wolves coming in. I'm talking to you. But then he makes this, this definite atonement declaration at the end. Here, here's what he says. Listen, so made you overseers for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. Okay, I need you to hear the past, present, future stuff. Presently, your elders, and I'm telling you to watch this flock. 
Okay? Because in the future, ravenous wolves are going to come in and try to pull that flock away from the true story of the gospel. But what secures all of this, the reason you tell your people to continue to follow verse 24, to continue to listen to what I said, to give all of your life, the reason this can be true is because what he did in the past. So what secures us up in all of this, what 28 does for us is recognize, hear me, I'm telling you, this path is not easy. I'm telling you to give all that you have over and over and over is not an easy thing. Your flesh doesn't like it. Maybe your friends don't like it. It's not an easy course. It's not an easy course. But we do this now because of what he did then. Maybe we forgot that story. Let me remind you. John 19, starting at the end of verse 16. So they took Jesus Maybe we forgot this, so let me remind you. And he went away, Jesus, and he went away bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two others, on one on uh, each side and Jesus between them. Skip to verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier. So here's Jesus. He's been flogged. He's got the crown of thorns. He's been crucified. He's been mocked. He's been spit on. Here he is between these, this thief and this man who asks for salvation at the end of his life. Here he sits. Now he's standing there on the cross naked. Here he is naked, listen to this, and after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, you ready for this? Listen to the parentheses. To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Okay, now we may think that's just like we read it and we're like, well, what is that? But here's what I need you to hear. Even to the last dying breath of Jesus's life, he was hell-bent on fulfilling what God put in front of him. No, 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 no. I know I've got to fulfill the scripture. This is my course. And even as something as simple as drinking the sour wine, now I know I fulfilled the scripture. Even to his last dying breath, he was obedient. And that's how he obtains you. We, we base our salvation on what he has obtained through his blood, through his obedience. And that's what Paul's using verse 28 as a hinge here for us to know that. I'm telling you, fight the philosophies, fight the ideas. Dads, watch your kids. Mom, watch your kids. Husbands, protect your families. RC leaders, know what's going on in your community because there's ravenous wolves. And the reason this is true is because you've already been obtained. Because you've already been obtained, walk this thing out. Be all in because he was all in. And it sure in the heck wasn't easy for him. Rolodex your mind. Go back to Gethsemane. God, I I don't want to do this, but your will be done. Like you hear that. I don't want to do this, but your will be done. If you called me to 25 years in solitary confinement, God, I don't want to do this, but your will be done. If it all it meant was poverty and affliction and imprisonments, I don't want to do this, but your will be done. Jesus is not a dictator pushing us in the direction of obedience. He's saying, I've been there. I've done that. I'm alongside you. Rely on what I've done. And because what I've done, you now have the power to do what I'm calling you to do. See, this is good news. Know that we ain't playing games here, bro. Jesus, to the end of his life, fulfilled the course. My prayer is that we would do the same. Listen to my man Spurge. 
if anybody hears to live for the gospel, this gospel, he must have received it from God. He must feel himself under bonds to hold and keep this gospel, not so much because he has chosen it, but because it has chosen him. What more do I need to know? You may leave this rock if you like, my brother, for you may be able to swim, but I must stay where I am, for I would drown. When the crack of doom shall be heard, I shall be here, God helping me, believing the gospel of the grace of God and no other creed. Now listen to what he says in the direction of this persistent steadfastness. Steadfastness at this particular time has a special value, and I urge you to it, to the gospel which you have received, to the gospel of the grace of God, I implore you to stand fast so long as you live. God help us. May that be our prayer. May 24 be our mantra, not just as you as individuals, but us as communities, us as a church. May we continue to not count our life as valuable or precious to ourselves, but only follow the course that Jesus has laid out in front of us. Let me pray for us. Father, we... Um, we take a posture of humility in your presence. We recognize that you've given us imperatives to be alert. You've called us to remind each other of the word of God, to push against the philosophies of this age. You've called us to be obedient, to walk out the course, to testify, to be martyrs, testimonies of everywhere we go. And we fail a lot. So beyond repentance, Jesus, we come to you in a spirit of humility as well with thanksgiving. That our salvation is not shored up when we buy into the philosophies of this world and make those mistakes and and, and perform those sins, but we are shored up because you have obtained us with your blood. Because John 19 is true. Gosh, I want verse 24 of Acts to, to be true in my life. Because you were obedient, because you gave all, don't dare crucify Christ again. Let this be our our, our life's mantra. May we continue to just look at what you set in front of us. That's all we've got. For some, it is giving everything. For some, it is imprisonment and infliction, affliction, just like Paul. For some of us, it's hard because the demonic forces of this world are... um, are beckoning us to hide behind our garages and padlocks. It's hard because Netflix, and it's hard because of Facebook. It's, it's difficult. So Jesus, we pray that we would be alert with all of those things. We're grateful that we have them. But may we ask the question, is this the course that you want me on? And if it is, I pray for every single person in this room that all they would do is be faithful to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ where they are. Of course, we can't do this without what you did. And so again, we are grateful. We love you. Thanks for Acts 20. Gosh, what a punch in the face this is, God, to be reminded and jostled out of our comfort zone. We love you. We desperately need you. In your name we pray.